We thank you for visiting Christian Bible Temple and pray the following message speaks to your heart. Come forward, come forward, forward, forward. People are afraid of the pulpit. Okay, let's open our Bibles to the sixth uh, chapter of the book of Genesis. And we are now going to be covering, Lord willing, this morning from verse 3 until where we can reach. Genesis chapter 6. We began this chapter last week and we talked about who were the sons of God and the daughters of men and all that that entailed and the reason why that happened. Now we see in verse 3 that the Lord speaks and he says, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years. My spirit refers to God's Holy Spirit in his ministry of convincing and convicting men of sin. That's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit, is to convict of sin. Okay? And some people blame the preacher when something is said from the pulpit and they say, you said something and you were talking about me. That happened to me a number of times throughout my years in ministry. And my answer is always the same. It is not I, it is the Holy Spirit that is convicting you. When the Word of God is preached and we touch a point that has to do with your life, whether something is good or bad, Know that God knows that before I do. And many times, I don't know what is going on in your heart. And I don't know what is going on in your life. It is the Holy Spirit that convicts us when something is not right. So instead of getting angry at the preacher, get angry at yourself for being in sin. And repent and turn to the Lord. And then you would not have the need to be angry about anything. Because if when we obey the Lord, we have perfect peace in our heart. Okay? So here we see that this is uh, the Holy Spirit convicted. And the Lord Jesus Christ, at the Last Supper, after the Last Supper, when they are speaking in the Garden of Gethsemane, in John 16, 8, he told the disciples that one of the ministries that the Holy Spirit would come, the Comforter, and that he will be convicting men of sin. That's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit. So if God ever convicts you, instead of being upset, be thankful. Because that's the radar, the red lights that go on to help you realize that something is amiss in your life. Something is not right. Now, in our text here, we see that as man degenerated morally and spiritually, 
especially after the devilish takeover just described in the first two verses, he became so corrupt as to be beyond hope of redemption. Okay? God knows the end from the beginning. And the Lord is patient, long-suffering, loving, and everything. But there comes a point, if man refuses to repent, that there's no remedy. Okay? Man had completely resisted the Spirit's witness so that God saw it. It was hopeless for him to strive with man anymore. Only God knows when he must stop dealing with man in a certain issue. Okay? We don't know that, but he does. And therefore, God decided to put an end to this condition of things. Man was not simply a sinner anymore, but he had sunk to a level of being just regular flesh, totally given to a life of sin continually, not interested in God, but only in satisfying the appetites of his flesh as animals do. Does that sound familiar? Isn't the same today? Man, doesn't the world do the same today? Huh? Man lives just for what? Pleasure? You know? The flesh? Sin? This, that, the other thing, except the right things. Uh, later, later on, all flesh dies. We're going to be told that in the next chapter. Both man and animals. All flesh dies. There is a mouse that is The word striving means to judge a cause. So God was not wrestling with man. God is judging a cause. Man's condition at that moment. God does not bring his judgment immediately though. He shows his grace by giving man time to repent. Do you think that 120 years was enough time for man to repent? Okay. This particular prophecy was uh, given perhaps through Methuselah, being the oldest living patriarch at the time, 120 years before the coming of the flood. This could not have been Noah who gave it, because Noah and his sons, you know, especially his sons, had not been born yet, and God's commands to Noah had not been given yet. Okay? So God has always been patient and long-suffering when it comes to judgment, even under such horrible conditions as those in the days of Noah. The Apostle Peter, and because we spoke about, uh, last week we spoke about the first two verses of this uh, chapter, um, one of the most difficult portions of scripture to interpret until you learn to interpret things properly in Genesis 6. It says, Peter says, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Who was that? The Lord Jesus. He went to preach to the spirits in prison. What spirits in prison? Demons are running around free. So what Spirits in prison is he talking about? He's talking
talking about the angels that we talked about last week, the sons of God, okay? The disobedient angels that, that followed Satan, not just when they fell from heaven, but in following him in, to do something contrary to the will of God, those angels he locked up in Tartaros and, and, and reserved them there for judgment. Those are not running around free. Okay? So now we see who formerly, he says, were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah. How do we know he's talking about those angels? Because he's talking about Noah. And that happened at the time of Noah. Okay? While the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. Okay? Though all, the whole world, had rejected him, he still granted man another 120 years. Okay? To repent. Now in Second Peter, chapter 3, verse 9, Peter again says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So the Lord, nobody can blame the Lord and say, Oh, you didn't give us enough time. Well, I think 120 years is more than enough time. When your children disobey you, do you give them 120 years' time to change their hearts and Okay. So we see here, the Lord knows already that judgment is going to fall. He's going to bring it down. But he still, though everybody has rejected him, he still gives man time to repent. Because he is merciful and he is gracious. Okay. Now we come to verse 4. And here he talks about the giants. Who are the giants? Well, they're not the football team, that's for sure. The Bible says here that there were giants on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. The word giants in Hebrew is nephilim, comes from the word nafal, means those who have fallen. Not giants just in stature, but those who have fallen, okay, fallen ones. A reference to the nature of their false parents, the fallen angels, and it also means giants, and that's how it's translated in the Septuagint, the Greek, the Greek Old Testament. The word uh, or the phrase mighty men, one word in the Hebrew, means powerful, tyrant, strong. Are you beginning to get the picture now? These are fallen, fallen men, and they are powerful, they are tyrannical, and they are strong. And then the word renown, the word Shem in Hebrew, means infamous name. And refers to the infamous, violent, rebellious men, ungodly in God's sight. Okay, so now you get a picture of what kind of people these were. Now notice the phrase there that says, and also afterward. Now we know that 
Moses is the one who penned down the first five books of the Bible. And it could very well be possible that this phrase was inserted by Moses. And it says, and, though, um, and, and also afterwards. Why? Because in the book of Numbers, when they enter the land and they see giants there, the word Anak, the descendants of Anak, okay, in Numbers 13, 33, is the same word used here in Genesis. So there were men of big stature, and that's not to surprise us, because we know about Goliath, don't we? Okay, and he tells us how tall he was. And we know that even today, there is a tribe in Africa called the Watusi in southern Africa, and they are the tallest people on earth. Some of them are over seven and a half, probably even eight feet tall. I remember years ago, there was a basketball player. I forget his name. He was seven one. I know but now, but back then, okay, he was seven one. And I was watching the game with my uncle who loved sports, and he says, look at the size of that man. The, uh, the coach was talking to him, okay, and he was like this, and the coach came to him up to here, okay, and he was like this. It's huge, okay? So is it impossible? No, okay? So common? No, but possible. So we see here that we know the kind of people they were, it, it, describing from the Hebrew the kind of people they were. The conditions that prevailed in the days of Noah uh, are all rapidly growing again in our days. Now, we don't have giants around, but we have depravity around. And every day, it's more and more and more. Yesterday, uh, we were watching a documentary on Channel 12 out in Long Island, and they were talking about we're interviewing young men that are not so young now that as children were molested by this sheriff. He had molested a whole bunch of boys and damaged their lives for good. And you know, people knew about it and they laughed. They didn't do anything about it. And these lives were destroyed. Okay? Depravity. Depravity. There is good reason to believe that these present times that we are living in are those which immediately precede the, res the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord himself warned about this. Now this morning we read the Gospel of Matthew, but two chapters before what we read today, in chapter 24, when he's speaking on, on the Mount of Olives, he says to his disciples, telling them, warning them about what the future will be like, the last days. And uh, it says, chapter 24 of Matthew, verse 36, it says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Now, Jesus as a man did not know at that moment because he limited his deity. He never stopped being God. But he just became man, son of man. And as the son of man, he didn't know. But did he, as God, uh, God's son, 
Oh, absolutely. Okay? So here we see that, but as the days of Noah were, some people today even deny that Noah existed. The ark and all that. The Lord believed in Noah. He's the one who spoke to Noah. The Lord believed in Adam. He's the one who created Adam and spoke to Adam. Okay? The Lord believed in Jonah. And here we see, he says, but as in the days of Noah, as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Everybody was mocking Noah while he was building the ark. We're going to talk about that when we get to that point. But where did everybody run when the flood came? When it began to, the water began coming down. Today, it, it, it was the closest thing I ever seen to the flood. Okay? Coming here from uh, Long Island. Boy, my goodness. Uh, but you know what? I had to put my flashers on. And other cars also, because everybody had to slow down. It was coming down in buckets. Okay? Now imagine what it must have been like in those days, because the Bible tells us that all the vaults of heaven were open. It was not just a, you know rain coming down; it was Niagara Falls all over the place. Right? Nobody believed it, and the Lord had Noah built it on, on land, not even close to a, an ocean, because we don't even know if the oceans existed at the time. At least not the way they are now. So they were laughing because he had never rained either. But Noah believed, and he built the ark. Why? Because he believed. Your works prove what you believe. You can talk with your mouth and say, oh, I believe this, I believe that, da, da, da. and you don't live your life like that. You don't believe it. Noah condemned the world, the Bible says, because he believed God, and his works proved it because he began working, building the ark. And he endured for 120 years the mocking of the ungodly. But boy, when the flood came, after the Lord, the Bible says the Lord closed the door. Once the Lord closes the door, no man can open it. Where did everybody run to when water began to come down? Everybody ran to the ark. Okay? So we see here now, finally, in verse uh, 5 through 7, the judgment of God is pronounced. God never brings judgment without warning. Without warning. All right? Then, this says there, verse 5, Genesis 6, 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, 
creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made him. Now we see here God's observation in regards to man's condition. God sees to what point man's wickedness has reached. And thanks to Satan's doings in corrupting the whole human race, this is happening. Okay? And determines to erase man from the face of the earth. That is God. Okay? God determines to erase man from the face of the earth. It is important to note that God sees not only what man does, but what he thinks. And in Hebrews 4.13, we're told that our hearts are open. Our whole being is open, naked, before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So people, when they do something wrong, they try to hide in a closet, under a bed, or in a dark room, or in some cave, or I don't know where, but they forget that God can see even there. And they're going to be surprised one day. Man cannot hide anything from the eyes of God. And you know what? David knew that so well in Psalm 139. Whither or where shall I go to flee from your presence? And he says, even if I make myself wings and fly to the highest part of the earth, on top of any mountain, up in the, you know, the air, or down in the deepest part of the sea, and even if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. So the answer is, where can man flee from God? Nowhere. Nowhere. Okay? So that's why it's called, it's called the, the deception of sin. Sin will always deceive you. Because it will make you think the famous phrase, it cannot happen to me. It won't happen to me. Yes, it does. I'm sure David thought the same thing when he sinned with Bathsheba. Nobody found out, but God did. Okay? Now, it's an interesting phrase that we see here. And the Lord was sorry. In other versions, it says, the Lord repented. Now, does God need to repent? No. So what does it mean? Okay? God does repent, but this does not refer to a change of purpose, but of feeling, by which there develops a new course of action. All right? God repented that he had taken Israel out of Egypt when they rebelled in the wilderness. Okay? He redeemed them from slavery, and then they turned against him by worshiping a golden calf. And he tells Moses, I'm, re I'm sorry that I brought him out of Egypt. Now, does it mean that he made a mistake? No. That's not what it means. Okay? Repent, the Hebrew word naham, means to sigh, to breathe deeply, to lament. When God repents or is sorry he is just grieved because of man's sin 
not that he said, whoops, what did I do? No, there's not, there are no whoops with God. He knew ahead of time that man would do this. Yet he created man anyway. Why? For his glory and to show his grace and his purposes. So we see here that uh, the scriptures also teach us that God does not change. I am the Lord. I change not. He says that in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 6. I change not. Okay? Divine repentance refers to the sadness God suffers because of man's sin. Now, you parents have children, right? And you have a, ch a child, you have a son, a daughter, or a few of them, and they do something bad. And how do you feel? Do you feel happy? No. You feel saddened when they do something bad. They don't listen. So you children better listen to your parents. Okay? Got that? Listen to your parents. And what if they are wrong? If they are wrong, it's none of your business. You just listen to your parents. Now, if your parents tell you, go kill somebody, then you don't have to do that. And, you know, because you need to listen to your parents unless they tell you to do something that goes against the will of God. Is that understood? You do that, you live life a long life, and you will be prosperous. That is the first commandment with promise. Oh, but you don't know my parents. No, but God does. And you know why you have the parents that you have? Because those were the kind of parents God wanted you to have because that's what you needed. Again, God makes no mistakes. That was one of the first lessons I learned when I got saved, when I first got saved. I had problems with my father. All my life I had problems with my father. And the pastor at the time, in one of the first services I ever went to, he says, what's, what's the matter with you? I said, I got problems, and I told him what the problems were. And he says, whatever your father and mother do is none of your business, number one. Number two, you need to respect your father. But you don't know. No, you need to respect your father. Because God gave you that father, he makes no mistakes. Because that's the father you needed to have. But what if they do wrong things? Then you learn what not to do. You can do two things when you have a bad example. Either you imitate it, or you purpose in your heart, like Daniel, that you're not going to do that. That should be an incentive for you to turn around and say, I'm not going to repeat that. I'm going to do what is right but I am still going to respect my father or my mother. Okay? So here we see that the Lord says, I am the self-existent one, and I change not. Divine repentance refers, again, to the sadness God suffers because of man's sin. And man, man in not repenting, provokes God's wrath. For God hates sin, and his justice demands punishment. Don't forget one thing. Everybody loves to say, God is love. Yeah, but wait a minute. God is also holy, just, and his holiness demands payment for sin. His holiness does not allow sin to go on. 
Eh? It's not like God. God is not like us. Too many times we give up and we say, oh, do whatever you want. You're, you know, God doesn't do that. God says payday someday. He's going to judge everything. Everything that stands before him the day of judgment. I know you, those of you, that, how many of you went to school? Now, how many of you went to class? Or did you just, like my father used to say, you were selling chestnuts outside? Huh? Some people who went to school and they passed by the door outside and they played hooky. No, no, no. You went to school and you learned something. Though these days, I don't know what they're teaching, but uh, you learned something. One of the things I learned, and I didn't go to school in this country, but since I love history, I learned a lot of things on my own. And one of the things I learned it was that President Harry Truman, and by the way, he was a president when I was born, so I'm old, and he had a sign on his desk in the White House. And it said, the buck stops in other words, excuses and reasons stop here. In other words, he held accountable everybody that served under, in his administration. And let me tell you, they used to call him the cursing Baptist. He had an iron fist. And that's what we need today. Now today, we don't have the sign, the bug stops here. We have a sign that says, here we smoke cocaine. And that's the tragedy of our, day, our days. Do, do, do you understand what I'm saying? And we need all to wake, all of us need to wake up. Because we are in a bad way. We're living in the days of Noah again. When you have corruption in high places. And man is interested only in doing evil, getting away with it. <clears throat> My sister and her husband went to see this movie that came out, The Sounds of Freedom. Hmm? You saw it? Okay. No, it's, it's a tragedy what they do with the children. And guess which country is the number one trafficker of children? The United States. And it's all about what? Money. Why? Because when you traffic in drugs, once the drugs are smoked or swallowed or whatever, that's it. But children can be used and reused and reused, and every time they're used, more money for the trafficker. And I'm telling you, listen, I don't want to be a blasphemer, but hell is not going to be hot enough for them. Okay? And we need to be outraged. And yesterday I was reading, last night, one of the Wahlberg brothers came out in support of this actor, Jim Caviezel, that they threatened him that he was going to flop. Who rejected, who rejected the rights to the movie? They had the rights to the movie and rejected it. It was Disney. I ask you, don't ever take your children to that place. Walt Disney must be turning in his grave because he created that for children, for innocence. Now they're using that for perversion. And we Christians need to be outraged. Okay? 
they told them that, and, and, and they sold the rights to, you know, to Amazon. Amazon refused it, and this angel company took it in. And that's the one that made the movie Jesus, the new movie that came out in many episodes. Okay, and they threatened Jim, Jim Cavizio, who's a believer, and he fought against that. And this guy Walter, one of the actors, he's with him, and he said he threatened Hollywood, and he said more actors will follow soon. Like I said before, evil can only come to a certain point, then something is going to happen. Okay? Something's going to happen. And I hope people rise up in righteous indignation against these corrupt minds that poison the kids in the name of entertainment. Entertainment. You know what entertainment is it's amusing amusement and you know what amusing means means no thinking because David says in the Psalms I muse in your words in other words I meditate in your words I muse so amuse is the opposite no thinking because when you're watching TV how much of your brain are you using? Zero. Much better to read a book, right, Ivan? Now, here we see that God's justice dem demands punishment. It is exactly because God does not change that he seems to repent when man changes his mind. God's attitude toward man is conditioned by man's attitude towards him. And remember this, God is never fooled. God had been patient and long-suffering toward man. But there came a point when in justice to his own holiness, <clears throat> he had to put an end to man's wickedness. Man's sin had become so great in the earth, the text tells us, because of the inward thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. Even though Satan and his angels are the tempters, man is still responsible for his actions. Satan can only control those who open their minds to him. These people are in rebellion against God already. Because evil filled the hearts of men, God was sorry that he had made man. In other words, he was saddened, brokenhearted, whatever you want to call it, that he had created man. And this is wickedness at its worst, to the point God had to bring such a catastrophic judgment on the world. And this is why we note the intensity of his judgment. What does he say? I will destroy man from the face of the earth. That is, I will cleanse, okay, the earth from man. And man whom I have created speaks of the fact that God is Lord of everything and everyone. And as such, he has the right to do what he deems best. In this case, worldwide wickedness called for a worldwide flood as a remedy 
for this chaotic situation. The reason for corrupt man's destruction is to preserve the woman's seed that would bruise the serpent's head. Remember Genesis 3.15? Okay. Next, we see the enumeration of the kinds of animals that would be destroyed. God had to destroy everything in man's dominion with that dominion, both man and beast. Only the fish are excluded, given to the nature of the judgment. It was a judgment by water. Fish live in water, so he did not destroy the fish. But everything else died. Sounds like we're going to get another flood. Okay. But the thing is, listen, this is such a sad, this is one of the saddest portions of Scripture. Tells us that we think that, you know, years past things were better. Mm. In the days of Noah, they were at their worst. And you know what? Like it says in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. It's coming back again. And the Lord warned that in Matthew 24. It's going to be like this in the last days. So don't think things are going to get better. I don't care what politicians say. They're not going to get better. And if they get better, it's only temporarily. Until they get worse again. Okay, It's only a matter of time. Because the Lord one day is going to come back and put an end to all this. And set up his kingdom where dwells righteousness. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for listening to this message and pray that the word of God spoke to your heart. To listen to previous sermons, please visit us at www.cbttbc.com or anchor.fm forward slash cbt hyphen sermons.